Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. We have 13 attributes or 13 marks from a Book of Acts church that we've discovered so far as we've studied the first section of the Book of Acts. Now, a lot of scholars would say that Acts is cut up into three sections, one of which is Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 5. So we're going to move out of that section today and move into the second. But this is what we've learned so far from the first five books of Acts. first five chapters of the book of Acts. So here's the 13 marks. Number one is absolute obedience to Jesus. Number two is Holy Spirit baptism. Number three is local unto global evangelism. Number four is God-ordained leadership. Everybody say leadership. Leadership. We're going to talk a lot about leadership today, all right? Number five is corporate encounter. Number six is Jesus-centered preaching. Number seven Many salvations and baptisms. Number eight, devotion to church fellowship. Everybody say unity. Unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. You got to remember the church is in a state of supernatural unity as we read this passage. Number nine is radical generosity. Number 10 is supernatural healing and miracles. Number 11 is persecution. Number 12 is persistent prevailing prayer. And number 13, we discovered this last week, is the fear of of the Lord. So as we're moving now into Acts chapter 6, I want to remind you that this is not a study of word by word of the entire book of Acts. This is like us rolling out the book of Acts like a blueprint and looking for marks or attributes that we can extract from the book and then apply to our local church here in 2023. I keep joking telling you that the sermon series is going to last until 2026. It's not. All right, so don't worry. We're not going to preach the same sermon series until 2026. But here's what I expect is that the impact and the influence of the study that we're doing together in this season will reach well beyond 2026 because we're not just pulling out these marks to identify what they are. We're pulling out these marks to apply them to our local church in 2023. If we're not anything, we must be a biblical church. Amen. We must be a biblical church. So I think that this study here is very significant, and that brings us to verse 1 of Acts 6. So how about we stand for the reading of the word? Uh, We're going to read verse 1 through verse 7 today. You guys good with it? All right, now I want you to remember, it's a family word today. Everybody say it. It's a family word. I'm trying to preface this. It's a family word. All right. Verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh Uh-oh. Verse two. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, that's the whole church, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Woo! Verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumbaa. And Nicholas, a proselyte of, I'm sorry, Parmenas, I didn't mean to dishonor you, bro. Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. You're seeing Mark number four here come alive, which is God-ordained leadership. Now, I want you to look at the byproduct of the apostles empowering more leaders and the church continuing to expand. In verse seven, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests, that's the Jewish priest, became obedient to the faith. Now, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but I think we might be able to say it is hard to be a part of a growing church. So the title of the message this morning is Growing Pains. Growing Pains. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, it's a family word. It's a family word. Let's pray before you're seated. Father, we say thank you so very much for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we say thank you so very much for the Holy Spirit, which has been poured out without measure upon each and every one of us. We are so grateful for the gift that you've deposited within us. We ask today for a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. But also, Lord, this morning, I ask you for a supernatural spirit of unity, that that spirit would rest upon this house and that you would knit our hearts together even more strongly than they are today. Jesus, build your church. We are so grateful to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Yeah, 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 family word. It's a family word, growing pains. It's, it's hard to be a part of a growing church. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about here in Acts chapter 6. So the first thing I want to point out to you is uh, in verse 1. You see here, I'm going to go verse by verse, basically. Are you guys okay with that today? You sure? It's a little different. You sure? It's a little different. Okay, so verse one, it says, now in these days. Now, I want you to pay attention as you read your Bible for any time the Bible uses a phrase like this. Now, in these days, because it is a literary device that indicates transition. So what we're getting here from Luke, who is the writer of the book, is he's letting us know that the church is moving from a new exciting, shiny crowd, everybody say crowd, into an established, maturing, multiplying church. Everybody say church. It takes some time for a community to go from a crowd to a church. I heard uh, Bishop Jake say one time, for the first five years, you are nothing more than a crowd. And then after five years, you are a church. 
because you get established. You begin to mature. People take leadership positions. You leave behind people who are only builders and you start to empower people who are bankers. It's amazing to me when you first start a church, you attract all of these people with a pioneering spirit. But unfortunately, once a church becomes established, a lot of the people who are trailblazers tend to leave. Because they say, no, I was just here for the start. I'm a pioneer. I'm not necessarily a steward. I don't want to be a part of banking the church. I just wanted to be a part of building the church. And now I want to look for another house to build because I'm not into that banking business. But you see what's happening here is that now in these days, we have a transition taking place in the book of Acts church where it's no longer just new, shining and exploding with momentum and popular and this new message in Jerusalem. Now it's coming a time where the church has been established and they need to begin to make decisions and deal with conflicts that have not arisen up to this point. Now they are dealing with growing pains. Everybody say growing pains. Now, I don't know if you would agree with me, but this is similar to Legacy Nashville. It, remember, this is a family word. We're no longer a crowd. We are now a church. We are established. We, own, we are no longer in our infancy stage. We're not just toddling around trying to figure it out. We are now an established house. We are a church. We will celebrate seven years in September. For all of the builders in the room, I'm sorry to say, I think that the honeymoon season might just be about over. And so we're going to need some mature stewards, some, some full-grown sons and daughters in the house to step up and take responsibility for this family and begin to bank. Not just get excited about what's new, but begin to steward what's been established. Remember, it is a family word. Now, in the name uh, it, it, I think it was uh, the Reverend uh, Biggie Smalls that said, uh, mo money, mo problems. I don't know if y'all remember that or not, but I would say, mo people, mo problems. Because as churches grow, it is hard to be a part of a growing church. In the first section of Acts 1 through 5, you will see there's only two major problems that face the church. Number one is completely external, which is persecution. That's one of the marks of uh, a book of Acts church. Now, persecution never lets up in the book of Acts. Section 1, 2, and 3, there's always going to be the presence of persecution. But up until this point, the only other problem that the leaders of the book of Acts church have had to deal with is Ananias and Sapphira, which has been Ananias and Sapphira lying to God by lying to the church. What's happening here is that now there is a new problem, and this problem is internal. This internal problem, now I want you to like brace for impact, okay? Here's what the internal problem is that we just read. It is the problem of cultural discrimination. That's the problem. It is the problem of cultural discrimination. Now before you like jump all the way in, I want to say that I do not believe that this internal problem of cultural discrimination is intentional. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But nonetheless, it is happening. A particular cultural group is being overlooked in the ministry. How many of you could say, yep, I have seen that happen before as a part of a growing church. It is hard to be a part 
of a growing church. We've seen persecutors fighting against the church so far. We've even seen people in the church fighting against God. But now this is the first time that we see in the church the saints fighting against one another. This is growing pains. And that's what it says there in verse two, when the disciples were increasing in number. And that's just the way that it goes. Like as a church begins to grow, the problems grow with it. And I know we don't put those on the front page of our Instagram and testify about all of our problems in the same way that we testify about all of the miracles and all of the growth. But I can guarantee you as the pastor of this church, behind the scenes, more people, more problems. We, 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 we deal with those things. And so as the church has grown in the book of Acts, notice this, as the church has grown, it has become increasingly culturally diverse. Now, we might even be able to say the same thing about legacy a little bit. Growing is good, but as a church grows, you've got to be able to steward more sheep, and more sheep means more diverse needs or more diverse diets. A bigger pasture may be required. A bigger building may be required. And certainly more shepherds are needed. That means more leaders are required to deal with the pains of a growing church. So here's the problem. In verse 1, it says that a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what has happened? The church has started a ministry of charity to care for widows, which is awesome, but there's a distinct cultural group of widows called the Hellenist who are minorities, and they are being overlooked in favor of another group of widows, which are the Hebrews, and they are the majority. Now, the only difference between the two groups, you might not be able to notice it with the naked eye, but the difference between the two groups is that the Hellenists are actually diaspora Jews. That means that they are immigrants. They were living in exile for a while, but now they've come back. And the difference between the two groups is that the Hellenists don't speak Aramaic. They speak Greek. Are you with me? Are you bored yet? I'm giving you some history. It's okay? Okay. So the Hellenists, they're immigrants. That's the cultural group that they belong to. So they didn't speak the native tongue of the Hebrews that were in Jerusalem at the time, which was Aramaic. So no wonder they were getting left out of certain things. They were being overlooked. There wasn't as many people available to serve them, and they're being marginalized. Now, on the other hand, over here, the Hebrews, they do speak the Aramaic. They are familiar with the uh, the city, they know what's going on and they have a lot of relationships embedded within that place. And so now what I don't want you to do, church, you with me? We're talking about biblical interpretation here. Now, what I don't want you to do, church, is I don't want you to read too much of our current culture into the text that you immediately jump to the evil of racism. Now, I don't want you to do that, all right? And here's why. Racism is a sin and sin is possible anywhere humans are, even church. Would you guys agree? But Luke never suggests that the problem here is overt discrimination of Hellenist widows as much as it is an, an absence of qualified leadership. Remember, the early church thought like Jews. They knew God's law, which means they understood that God had commanded them to care for the poor, to care for widows, and to care for immigrants. And it's obvious they were obedient to this law because they have started a feeding program for all poor widows despite any cultural groupings. The second reason why I believe that the problem here is an absence of qualified leadership is because the book of Acts has repeatedly stated over and over again that everyone was of one heart and 
One soul, right? So we just shouted it out. Unity, unity, unity. The church was trying to deal with the growing pains and protect the unity and keep everybody fed and keep everybody connected and keep everybody ministered to. But unfortunately, the church has now outgrown its leadership structure. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That's not legacy, is it? Lastly, is that I think that Luke accurately diagnoses the ultimate problem here as growing pains because the address that the apostles give is solely about leaders. And there's always a need for more leaders. If you're unsure of what you're called to be, I can tell you for sure you are absolutely called to be a leader in your sphere of influence, in your metron. You are called to be a leader. And what are leaders for? Serving. There's never going to be a time in the Bible where you can't look at the definition of leadership and get serving. If you want to lead big, you want to serve big. If you read through the New Testament and you say, I want to be a leader, well, what you're communicating to me you want to do is wash smelly feet and serve tables and help widows and orphans and the poor and the immigrants, and that's what you want to do. Now, here's where, let me, let me say this, all right, we're, we're trying to practice good interpretation today. Are you with me? So here's where I might consider a current cultural issue to be more relevant, which is the issue of representation. As the church in Jerusalem has grown and become increasingly diverse, a particular group gets overlooked. So the response of the apostles is to appoint leaders from that group to ensure that everyone receives adequate ministry. That's one of the reasons why their names are hard to pronounce because they are most likely, at least five of the seven, they're Hellenist. They have Greek names, all right? And so we can assume most, if, if not all of them, Uh, they were a part of the same group that the widows that were being neglected were a part of. So the more diverse the church, the more necessary it is that the leadership is diverse. Will you do me a favor? Will you look at your neighbor and say, it's a family word. Okay, I appreciate it. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not at Legacy, but we have a diverse leadership team here. Maybe you haven't noticed that. I didn't get very many amens, but... uh, You know, one of the biggest compliments I could get personally from my own heart is people saying, oh, you have a diverse leadership team. And we do. Did you, have you guys, um, have you guys ever checked out our website and looked at our pastoral team? One person. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Great. So on our pastoral team, there's me, there's my wife, Allison, there's Brian, there's Sonia Nira, and there is Michelle Fairber. I'm the only white guy, and I love it. And here's why our church is as diverse as it is, and here's why it's not. It is not because of any cultural or political pressures. Here's why it is. Because it's the type of church that Jesus is building in East Nashville in 2023. This is his church, not mine. And we want to be submissive and obedient to whomever he wants to empower here as leaders. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what their ethnicity is. I don't care what their nationality is. I don't care how old they are. Listen, we've got a good, diverse group of leaders, but now I am looking for more generational leaders to empower. At this point, we got a lot of beautiful, anointed, dynamic 30-year-olds. You know what I want? I want some beautiful, dynamic 70-year-olds. 
That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. So I'm just, I'm letting y'all know right now. I, that's the next leader that I hope that we get to. Here's the second reason why we have a diverse leadership group is because it's a direct reflection of the heart of your pastors, which is me and Allison. All right. Um, we love and we desire diversity. It's who we are and it's what we want our church to be like. And I'll tell you, if you don't like diversity, you won't like heaven. Because you're going to be up there with all kinds of people from all kinds of different nations and you're going to be a part of a procession with people and they're going to surround you and they're going to be worshiping in this language and that language. And so just go ahead and get used to it now. Start celebrating unity within diversity. We don't do it because of cultural pressure or political pressure, but we do it because we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is incredibly diverse. Therefore, we desire for our church to be so. Look at your neighbor again and say, it's a family word. Y'all okay? I'm gonna get some emails after this. But if you look at verse two of Acts chapter six, it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, so what did they do? They said, we're gonna have a family business meeting. I want the whole church to come to the sanctuary tonight at 5 p.m. because we're gonna give you an address. We have now understood that these widows are being overlooked and we wanna let you know what our apostolic solution is. Are you with me? And they said, it's not right. Everybody say unacceptable. Everybody say inappropriate. Because I looked it up in the Greek and that's what it means. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, how many of you guys would be really hurt if I stood up here this morning and said that? Well, I'm about to. Therefore, brothers, pick, up, pick out from among you seven men. I'm sorry, y'all. Having too much fun with this Bible study. Men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If the issue was something other than the absence of qualified leadership, then I guarantee you Peter would have addressed it. So don't read too much of our current culture into the text. Let the text say what it says and do your research and study it and extrapolate the goods out of that thing so that you can really understand what the Bible's trying to teach you. You with me? Man, we had a deep Bible study today, didn't we? So that's what's happening. If it was anything other than an absence of qualified leadership, I promise you, Peter would have addressed it. How do I know that? Because he just stood flat-footed and looked at Ananias and Sapphira in the face and said, you have not only lied to us, but you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, and they died. I promise you, the apostle Peter is not afraid to confront sin in the way it needs to be confronted. In response to the saints fighting one another, the plan of the apostles was to bring the whole church together and address the issue at hand. The first thing they said is that it's not right, it's unexpected acceptable. It's inappropriate. It is not right for us to discontinue prayer, study, and preaching God's word in order to become more available for the work of food distribution. Now, as a church grows, you can't expect your pastors to do all of the same things that they used to. Let me say again, it's a family word. As the apostle said, it ain't right. There comes a time in the life of a growing church where some of the senior leadership must step back from the day-to-day -day ministry of the church and focus on prayer, study, and preaching of the word, and this is where Legacy Nashville is. That's where I'm at. It's hard to be a part of a growing church, and I want to let you guys know that it's hard to pastor a growing church, and I think we've all experienced that. If you only come to one service, 
you're probably not aware of the full magnitude of the impact of this congregation. I, 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 I say this just so that you can get a context. You know, on Sunday, we average probably just under 900 people that come to church here. If you look monthly at the amount of people who give, serve, and check in their children, our church is about 1,300 people, all right? But if you only come to one service and you sit in the room with 300 people, you're like, this is not really that big of a church. Like, pastor, you should be doing a lot more. (laughs) Somebody told me one time, you only work one day a week. (laughs) I'm like, Man, could we trade places? Some Sundays I'm like, I wish I was on Cafe Team today. (laughs) Listen, I have experienced the unmeetable expectations of people that were a part of our church when it was much smaller than it is today. If you were a part of our congregation over at 900 Gallatin, I hate to say it, but I'm also happy to say it. We are no longer that church. And I ask you, in the name of Jesus, please do not be more married to our past than you are our future. Listen, I would say that being a part of a growing church can be sad. Last year, Allison and I went on sabbatical, which we do every July, and we make no apologies for it. There's a reason why PKs have a reputation. You ever thought about that? Why do so many PKs act the same? Because they don't get the love and the affection and the attention and the time that they need from their parents. And so one of the things that Allison and I have determined to do is we ain't going to be here in July because we're going to focus on one another and we're going to focus on our children. And if people don't like it, sorry, you know, that's us. That's what we're doing. And I, I know that could be difficult. It's hard to be a part of a growing church. And this last summer when we took all of, all of July off, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Ain't nobody going to come to church. Ain't nobody going to give. Ain't, gonna, ain't nobody going to serve. I was sweating. Allison could tell you we were in Florida trying to enjoy our time at the beach. I said, man, we're going to have to get on the live stream. We got to see what's going on. Make sure the people of God showed up. And let me tell you, I was so impressed by how our church responded in our absence to our leaders that had been empowered to serve. I was so blessed by it. I was brought to tears. We came back a Sunday early. (laughs) Couldn't stay away. Um, But I wasn't preaching that day. It was Pastor Brian. And so I came back. I said, I just want to sit in the room and I just want to enjoy Brian's message. And I came back and I saw everybody in the room and I saw how church was going. And I got sad. And I was like, oh, man, our church is growing. I don't know everybody anymore. It's kind of a bummer. I liked it when we were small. I liked whenever we could all hang out with each other and we knew everybody's names and we could all, you know, spend time with one another and everything. But now we're in a new season. And I remember thinking, I told Allison, I said, you know, this feels weird because we're not needed anymore, but we're wanted. And that's a lot better feeling. And I said, you know, we got a vision that God's given us to reach 12 cities through this church. And if we fulfill the vision that God has given to us, we're going to have to grow more and we're going to have to multiply. And that's hard, but I know that it's God. And so we got to be more connected to our future than we are romantic about our past. And so I'm asking you, remember, say it's a family word. 
please don't be offended if me and Allison can't meet all of your needs. Because if you look to the scripture here, we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. Please don't be offended by that. My priorities in this season have had to change, and they have become prayer and the ministry of the word. I told our staff, if you'll do the work of the ministry, I'll make sure you're well fed. And these are biblically appropriate priorities of a leader serving an expanding church that's become too large to steward without substantial help. The larger the church, the more leaders that you're going to need solely devoted to prayer, study, and the preaching of the word. That's important so that the church does not become a business and it, and it stays connected to its eternal purpose. And if you're thinking, well, yeah, that's me. I'm called to that. I'll do more preaching and teaching. Well, if that's you, then serve tables. Because all seven of these men who were elected to serve these tables, they did go on to quote unquote bigger and better things, if you want to call it that. They all became leaders in their own right that preached and prayed and studied and taught. And even Stephen was the first martyr of the early church. And if you think that preaching and teaching is not serving, let, let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 5. Remember, this is a family word. Are you guys still okay? I'm just checking your, I'm just trying to, trying to check your pulse here. I know it's a little interesting word. You good? 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor. What's it called when a woman goes into labor, preaching every Sunday is like giving birth on Sunday and finding out you're pregnant on Monday. But then again, I ain't never delivered a baby, so it's probably inappropriate for me to say something like that. But another thing I want to point out, it says the elders who rule well, they're considered worthy of double honor. Any elder that's truly deserving of double honor doesn't want it. They don't want it. Elders may be worthy of it, but it doesn't mean that they always have to receive it. As leaders, we have got to be way more inclined to give away service than we are to receive honor. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the charismatic church in the last three minutes that I have. <laughs> it's been a ranting week. I'm sorry about it, but I love you. Uh, one of the major problems that I see in churches like ours is that the only place that people want to serve is on stage. If the only place that you're willing to serve is on stage, you, don't want, you have no interest in serving. You only want to be seen. I don't even blame the individuals. I blame the culture. We've made the ultimate symbol of empowerment in the New Testament modern church this microphone. And it's terrible because it's not even truly biblical. It's wrong. So many people believe that unless they have a mic that they don't matter. And that's incredibly sad because it's absolutely inappropriate and untrue. If you look at the seven people who were chosen, they were all administrators. We need more spirit-filled administrators. What were they given responsibility to do? They said, go wait the tables, go serve the people, go pass out the food, go steward the finances and do the work of the ministry. It was significant in the early church. It's still significant in the modern church. And if you want to lead with your words, I want you to ask yourself, is God nudging me? to preach and teach or am I nudging myself as I succumb to the modern church's cultural pressures of misplaced significance? Before you ever lead with your words, you must be willing to lead with your works. So I encourage everybody that's in the room today, who cares where? Just serve somewhere. All serving is significant. And let me ask you another, is there a part of our church that you really hate? <laughs> Perfect timing on the keys. 
You help me right then. You help me right then. Because that was, that was going to get heavy. Because nobody needs to answer. But is there a part of the church that you, you just really dislike? Serve there. Because if you really dislike it, then maybe God's put grace on your life to transform it. If you... I mean, man, you know, you know what I'm saying? Everybody at this point should serve in parking. I already know. I already know because... <laughs> Everybody say it's a family word. At Legacy Nashville right now, we need more people like Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Some crazy names, but we need people like them. What we don't need right now is people who only, exclusively, solely say, all I want to do is pray, study, and preach. That's all I want to do. Give me a microphone, pastor. And no one said that to me, but I just want you to know, if that's there in your heart, go serve tables. That's, that's where the need is right now. And when the apostles were preparing to delegate authority to these seven men, what did they say? I want you guys to pick them out. He's talking about deacons here, which is something we haven't studied before in the Bible. We've studied elders. We're going to study deacons in the future. But the apostles said, I want you guys to figure out among yourselves who you want to nominate, but get this, get this, we will appoint them. You see that? So sometimes we interpret one and we don't study the other. And we say, oh, well, everything is supposed to be voted on. No, no, no. There is such thing as apostolic authority in the church and God-ordained leadership in the church. And we need spiritual moms and dads every now and then to say, hey, I don't care about your ballot box. Here's what's going to happen. I better close this before it gets worse. What do you think, Elliot? We got to be done with this one, bro. We got to be done with this one. All right, here's what we need. Here's what we need. Y'all want to stand? It seems appropriate. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. Here's what we need. Um, three, there's, there's essential biblical qualities of a deacon leader, all right? This is where, we're going to end with this because this is where this passage ends uh, with, you know, verse five and six. And so here's the three qualities. Number one is a good reputation. Number two is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three is wisdom. And um, a good reputation is possible for you if you're willing to practice good character. How many guys know that your repetition becomes your reputation? So practice good character. Be a nice person. I really don't believe in anointed jerks. I mean, becoming more anointed, you would think that you would embody more the fruit of the Spirit. So people are like, I'm so anointed. You're not nice. Yeah. Look at people in the eye. Shake their hand like a human. Open the door for them. Give them a hug. How are you doing? I don't, I'm confused. Um, a good reputation, number two, you got to be full of the Spirit. You know what that means? Not just filled once, but constantly overflowing. Number three is wisdom. We got to be wise. We got to be able to make good decisions and lead well. And here's the byproduct of it all. Verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can I tell you, rooting against the church is rooting against Jesus. I don't want you to be 
become too discouraged by the sin of leaders, the failures of pastors, or the infighting of the saints. I know as a church, like we've, I don't just mean Legacy Nashville now, but I mean like as a church in our nation, we've been through a lot in the last three or four years. Would you guys agree? Been through a lot. I want to encourage you, don't get discouraged by that. Jesus is building his church. Jesus knows what he's doing. The church is not going to fail because Jesus is building it. The church is filled with all kinds of different people. Have our good days, we have our bad days. Without Jesus, the church is a big waste of time. But with Jesus, the church is the best thing going. And because Jesus is building it, and because Jesus gave his life for it, and because Jesus is here every time that we gather, we give our lives for it. And we say, God, we want to build this with you. Despite all of our shortcomings, despite our mistakes and our sin, God, we devote ourselves to building what it is that you're building, and that is your church. Everybody say one more time. It's a family word. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for the ministry of Christ Jesus. We ask for your help as we continue to move forward, both in our study of Acts and also our building of this local community. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the church said... Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.